We continue on the Sermon on the Mount, and we're in the Beatitudes this morning. We're on uh, verse 5, blessed are those, I'm sorry, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Uh, and it reminded me of a story I read not too long ago about a football coach. Um, and his assistant coach is watching films of uh, possible recruits coming in to the football team. And uh, the assistant coaches were asking the head coach, what are we looking for here? Are we looking for those who, uh, when they get knocked down, they pop right up? And the head coach said, no, I don't, I don't think that's what we're looking for. So, well, are we looking for those who uh, avoid getting knocked down? He said, no, I don't think that's what we're looking for either. Well, what about those who get knocked down and stay down uh, and realizing they need to get help? He said, no, that's not it at all. And they said, well, well, coach, what are we looking for? He said, what we're looking for is this. We're looking for those who knock people down. And I thought, what a, what a statement of our culture. What a reality of the world that we live in that we assign value to the strong and the bullies and those who manipulate by power of a human source and seek to advance their own cause at the cost of others. And we seek to emulate that. We seek to model that in our own lives. And before you say, no, I wouldn't dare do that, think about what we teach our children. Is it consistent with the message that only the strong survive? Only the smartest get ahead? You must take care of number one. Look out for yourself because no one else is going to look out for you. And though we may say those things so bluntly, do we say them subtly? Is that the message that we give in between the words? Is it the message even in our own hearts that we give ourselves? That if I don't look out for me, who will? This is a life that is contrary to what Jesus is calling us to be in Blessed are the Meek. These Beatitudes are... Not just a, a good way of Jesus saying, hey, look, here's a, here's a nice way to get some fortune. Because the word blessed here is a word that actually means fortunate or happy or greatly graced. It's, it's a word that's used several times throughout the scripture uh, just to talk about it's a wonderful state of being when you're blessed in such a way. That you should be fortunate. You should have a sense of joy and happiness that you would be blessed with this particular word. And so we must understand that these Beatitudes are not just a nice way to feel happy or a nice way to feel joy. But what Jesus is teaching here, that they are actually the character traits of a Christ follower. That those who follow Christ, that those who are disciples of Christ, have come to the realization they're blessed because they realize they were poor in spirit. That there was no other hope, that there was, this world offers nothing. That there's no security to be found in this world except in Christ. And Christ says you're blessed when you come to that realization that you're poor in spirit because yours is the kingdom of heaven. That everything that belongs to Christ, you're joint heirs with. And from that we begin to learn what does it mean for us to mourn. 
Because we realize we mourn over our own sinfulness. We mourn over the places where we've rejected Christ. We mourn in those areas where we, we haven't trusted Him. But He says, don't, don't stay there. Remember, you're blessed when you mourn because you're going to be comforted. And then after a person has come to the idea that I'm impoverished in my spirit and yet I'm filled with Christ and all that is His, and I'm, I've mourned over my flesh, I've mourned over my spirit, I've mourned over living in the flesh, and then I'm, I'm comforted because He is my comforter. He is the one who's come to me. He is the one who walks with me. Now I come to this place of meekness. That these are... These are building blocks of discipleship in Christ. These are building blocks of what does it mean for me to look like one who follows Christ. And they're not things that man has conjured up. They're not things that our society or our culture, they're not even things that theology or church has conjured up. These are direct quality traits from the Lord Jesus. Who says, you're blessed, you're happy when you come to the realization that this is who you are. And this is who you're to be. And aren't these things so countercultural to our culture today? Do we, do we think blessed are the poor in spirit? Or do we revel in people who have a pride of, I'm the best? Do we celebrate them? Do we celebrate those who depend upon God and, and depend upon Him alone for their sustenance? Or do we celebrate the go-getters, the ones who get ahead in the flesh? Who is it that we desire to emulate more? The homeless carpenter or the winner of the last lottery? What brings us more comfort? The idea of walking in the steps of Jesus or walking in the steps of wealth? Blessed are you when you realize that the steps of Jesus lead to a path of eternal wealth. Blessed are you when you mourn having to live here because you realize you're not home yet. And that this place will never be your home, but you're going to get home. And He will get you home before dark. And when you come to that realization, when I come to that realization, a spirit of meekness begins to develop in our hearts. This word meek is hard to get our, our heads around on what it might mean in our culture because it's, it's not a great word. It's not a word that we seek to strive. I remember a commercial not too long ago. It was about a bunch of kids, and, and they were interviewing the kids, and the kid, they said, what's your goal in life? And the, and the kids begin to say, well, my goal in life is to be mediocre. I strive for mediocrity. What do you want to be when you grow up? I'd love to be average. What's your favorite meal? cold soup. And we kind of associate, well, that's what meek may mean. Well, it's, it's not far from what the Greeks and the audience that were hearing this word in their day thought it meant as well. It wasn't a nice word when you called someone meek, a meek man or a meek woman. The best English word we have for it is a word that it translates in in other places of the Bible. And the word is this, gentle. Blessed are those who are gentle. Blessed are those who are gentle in their heart. Blessed are those who are gentle because they realize their sustenance, their graces, everything that they have in life comes from God. 
I looked at the Greek dictionary about this word. It's a word pros. It's where we get the word prone from. Or if you think about bowing down in submission. And it says this. It's a mildness of disposition, a gentleness of spirit. Meekness towards God is that disposition of spirit in which he accepts his dealings. A person would accept the dealings of God as good. And therefore, without disputing or resisting. In the Old Testament, the meek were those who wholly relied upon God, rather upon their own strength to defend them against injustice. Meekness towards evil people means knowing that God is permitting the injury and the infliction thereof, that he's using them to purify the elect. And that he will deliver his people in his time. An utter trusting of God. And an utter trusting of God's workings in one's life. Jesus says, happy are you, fortunate are you when you come to that place of gentleness that you realize that God is at work in you. In fact, there's nothing about you that isn't coming from the hand of God. It creates in us a place where we begin to follow Jesus. And it provoked in me as I was studying these passages two questions. What does meekness have to do with God? And how does meekness reflect Christ's likeness? Not only to others, not only outwardly, but also how in my own relationship to God does meekness affect it? Let's start first with what does meekness have to do with God? What what does gentleness have to do with God? Well, the first thing is this, that, that God is content and he is satisfied in all of who he is. That God has a sense of joy about himself. That God understands that everything is his. You remember Psalm 50, don't you, where God... The the psalmist says this, that all of the cattle on the hills are mine, all of the gold is mine, everything's mine, I wouldn't come to you, I have no needs, you can't give me anything, because I'm completely satisfied within myself. God's not lacking for our giving of Him His glory. God has plenty of glory within Himself. He doesn't need you and I to glorify His name. His name is glorified with or without us. God doesn't need you and I to do ministry. God would do ministry all on his own. God doesn't need you and I for him to feel loved. He is love within himself contained between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. God doesn't have a desire that cannot be fulfilled. He lacks nothing. He's completely good, completely perfect, completely satisfied in himself. And from that satisfaction, he's gentle. He has no need to show his mightiness in a way that we could not understand. And yet he shows himself as a humble carpenter to us. As one who would come and condescend from the throne of heaven to be amongst us as one of us. To have the full human experience. And the one who was never bridled in flesh would encapsulate himself in flesh forever. So that we might be with him forever. 
That is the meekness and the gentleness of one who has everything and has nothing to prove to us, but only wants to give love and gentleness to us. It says, if I were hungry, I would not tell you. The world is mine and all the sin is mine. And then from Acts 17, the God who made the world, Paul says, the God who made the world and everything in it, Being the Lord of heaven and earth does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. What kind of God is it that owns everything, that has everything, that has no need for anything but a gentle God that comes to you and I and says, I will give you everything? We think that God is calling us sometimes to be angry, and He's not. He's calling you and I to be gentle. In the same way that He came gently to us, He calls us to be like Him and to be gentle, to be meek. God reveals Himself meekly and gently in Jesus. Remember the words of our Lord, don't you, in Matthew 11, who said, Come to me, all who are weary. Take my yoke upon you, for I am meek, gentle, same word, humble. How has God revealed himself to us other than gently? What has Jesus said about his own self other than he is gentle and meek and humble? Of course, the Spirit tells us in James 4, 5, right? That God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. You see, it's antithetical when Jesus teaches us. He's teaching us it's antithetical for the Christian to be a proud, inappropriately proud person. One who thinks they're in their own strength strong. One who thinks that they can manipulate and maneuver by their own wisdom. One who thinks that they should be the one who tells everyone else what's right and what's wrong. Instead of trusting the Spirit and the Word of God to convict. Instead of believing that God, as we we prayed and opened our service in 1 Chronicles 29, that it is God who raises up, it is God who puts down, it's God who controls everything. Power and riches belong in the hands of God. David realized that. The most powerful man on earth at the time, King David, realizes that his power only comes from God. That the kingdom only comes from God. That his breath comes from God. That every day of his life comes from God. Those of us who've come up against the brushes of death realize this, that when you want one more breath, it really is up to God. When you come to that place of realization that you don't even own your own breath, 
but that each breath that you breathe belongs to God, you begin to realize the gentleness of God to give you another breath. And that gentleness begins to convict us of our own places of roughness, our own places of pride, our own places where we think we depend upon ourselves, even for breath alone. Jesus says that's antithetical to who you are in me. It's the opposite of who he's calling you and I to be. So what then does meekness and gentleness and Christ-likeness reflect? What does that look like? Well, it reveals that you and I are both content and satisfied in all of who God is. That we live lives understanding, live lives seeking, live lives uh, progressing in the, the realization that there's nothing greater than God. That there's no riches on earth that can compare to the riches of our Lord. That there's no reward that we're seeking to get that can be a better reward than God. Who or what drives you and I daily reveals to us who our gods really are. Are we driven by dollars? Guess then who we worship more than the Lord Almighty. Are we driven by success? Guess who we worship more than the Lord Almighty. Are we driven by power? Guess who we worship more than the Lord Almighty. Here's one for me. Are we driven by control? Guess who we worship more than the Lord Almighty. And so you see what Jesus calls us to is to repent. To live lives of seeking his meekness, seeking his gentleness, seeking all that he is, seeking to be in him, seeking to to know him deeper and deeper and deeper and repenting from seeking our own selves. That we live these lives of duality, of, of ascending to who God is and descending from who we are. It reveals that we are content and satisfied with God when we trust God with our future, when we trust God with our circumstances, when we trust other people to God, when we become, begin to understand that the people who have power over us are under the power of God. When we are convicted of our unbelief in that, we move into belief. And we begin to believe God really is engaged in my life. God really is here. God really is using my circumstances to bring glory to His name. God really is in control. What a place that I can rest. What a place to find gentleness. What a place to be able to love other people from. It would be great to take a collective deep breath, would it not? Just to say, when we look at the world, when we look at the circumstances, when we look at our worlds, when we look at our circumstances, when we look at everything that's around us, to take a deep breath, a deep collective breath and go, he's got this. I can rest. 
And because I'm at rest, I can be restful with others. Also, our wounds reflect an attitude, a heart of kindness. We come to God mourning over our wounds. We come to God in the poverty of our own spirit to come to this place of realizing that it's those very things in our lives that God will use in a kind way for us that we might be kind to one another. What does it mean for me to reflect Christ-likeness in my life? It means that I trust God enough and His kindness towards me that I might be kind to others. A.W. Tozer said this. He said, being meek is a means a person has stopped being fooled about himself. He's accepted God's estimate of his own life. He knows he is as weak and as helpless as God declared him to be. But paradoxically, he also knows at the same time he is in the sight of God of more importance than the angels. He himself is nothing. In God, he is everything. When we find our significance in God, when we find our affections being satisfied in all of God, who God is, we then have plenty depth to the well of our own hearts that we might be kind and loving one towards another. When I'm not looking to you to fulfill some idolatry that I have of how you should fulfill it for me, in other words, when I'm not looking for you to satisfy me, but I'm finding full satisfaction in God, I find I can be a lot nicer to you, a lot less critical a lot less judgmental because I'm not looking for you to be something that I lack because in Him I do not lack. And isn't that the gospel for one another? Isn't that what we're to preach to one another? Isn't that the gentleness that we're to show to one another? That because He has filled us, because we totally depend upon Him, because he's been so kind to us who deserved no kindness at all that we reflect this kindness. In many ways, these Beatitudes are Jesus' first foundational layer of what the fruit of the Spirit is, is it not? That the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and kindness, gentleness. That Jesus is saying, Blessed are you when you realize how God has been gentle with you and you reflect that gentleness to other people. Paul got it. So he says in Romans, You, a mere human being, who are you to pass judgment on others? And yet you do the same things. Do you think that you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of God's kindness? Forbearance and patience is forbearance and patience, not realizing this, that it's God's kindness that is intended to lead you to repentance. How often do we want to snatch each other up by the collar or by the neck and shake some sense into one another? How often do we think if we're just mean enough and strong enough and show toughness that we will make somebody's heart change towards us? And yet God himself says there's a much different approach that he takes. 
He shows kindness. The one who has no need to show kindness. The one who's completely justified to show no kindness. And yet humbles himself in his own gentleness to be gentle with you and me. It is kindness of God that has leaded us into repentance. For what purpose? First, there's the blessing, blessed, joyful, happiness, graceful, great, great joy is yours when you are meek. Because you will inherit the earth. What is the outcome of being one who's gentle? This comes right out of the Psalms where, where the, the psalmist says to the people of Israel, in your humility and in your kindness and your meekness you shall inherit the land. What was the most important thing for Israel of the Old Testament? It was the land. It was the promised land that they would have a land of their own, that they would have this place where they could dwell as a people protected by their God. And when you look at the geography of the Old Testament, you realize that this land of Cana that's surrounded by mountains and hills with a chief city being Jericho, God tells them at the time of Jericho, tear those walls down. Tear down the only fortress you have against invading countries. Jericho is your stronghold. Tear down the walls. Tear down that place that you have the most confidence in being able to protect yourself because I will be your protector. I will be your king. I will be the one who watches over you. Because the land is a gift to you, I will protect it. It was the most important thing to Israel was the promised land. When you and I can begin to realize that that's a picture of a better promised land to come, That Jesus the Deliverer has come in the same way that Moses has come to deliver us from the slavery of sin. And that we wander right now through a wilderness called this world, heading towards a specific place and a specific destination, a better promised land, the new heavens and the new earth, the new Jerusalem that will come down from heaven. When you realize that that's your destiny, that's my destiny, that this is the reality of what all of the Old Testament pointed to, was this great land to be delivered to us by our King Jesus, our Deliverer Jesus, then you realize what Jesus is saying. Blessed are the meek, because they will inherit the earth, this new earth to come, where we will dwell with Him as co-heirs and joint heirs with all that is His and all that has been redeemed in this wonderful, sinless, beautiful, glorified, renewed earth. And Jesus says, be gentle now, because that's what's to come. Eternity of kindness and gentleness as you live in the land. As you live in an eternal existence, that all that belongs to the Son is yours and mine. 
Why are you fighting so hard for what's of this world instead of fighting for the disposition of those who live in another? Why are you and I so concerned about the loss of things of the flesh when we lose the attitude of heart for the world to come? Are we teaching our children that they are truly strangers and aliens in this land and that we are passing through to the real and true promised land? Are are we so concerned that they control their environment now so they can live here forever? As you know, nothing here is forever except that which is in you. It's really a question of priorities that Jesus says. Blessed is your priority of living like me on earth. Blessed are you when you seek to walk in my steps. Blessed are you when you take your cross up and you follow me. Blessed are you when you trust me to promote you, to sustain you, to take care of you, to watch over you, so that you might have the land that I'm going to deliver to you as a true gift that will last forever. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Not blessed are the strong, not blessed are those who control, not blessed are those who manipulate, but blessed are the meek, the gentle, for everything will be theirs. It reminded me of a story I read a long time ago about a man who had an art collection, very wealthy man. He had all sorts of great artists on his wall. He died and passed away, and they had an auction. And all of the very expensive paintings went quickly, and a lot of money was raised. Then, of course, as the auction went on, a few of the other paintings left. And then finally, all of the paintings were gone with the exception of one. There was one little sort of chicken scratch child's painting that hung over the, the fireplace mantle. And everybody had been wondering, what will happen to this man's estate? What will, what will he do? Because his son who drew that little picture had died. And to that man, that picture had more value than anything. The carekeeper, caretaker of his estate saw the painting there and said, could I please have that? The auctioneer said, sure. It's just a child's work. You can have it. He took the painting and he went back and he sat in his little shed, turned it over and looked at the back of it, and there was a note from the owner of the estate. And the note said this, this painting was drawn by my son. The person who owns this painting owns everything I have. The estate is yours. You see, that's the gentleness and the meekness of God that is delivered in your hands and mine, all that belongs to Christ the Son. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth.
Let us pray.